Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. My name is Emma Doyle, and I am here with one of my closest buddies from high school. Oh, my goodness, Joe Hammer. We went to St. Columbus together. It feels like just the other day. Does it feel like that for you? It absolutely does feel like that, even though we know it is several decades <laughs> since we graduated, but it does feel like it was... Just last week. Just last week. Well, look, welcome to the Coaching Podcast. Uh, I've just been here at Ave Maria College, which you, where you are the... Assistant Principal of Community and Growth. Community and Growth. I knew I'd... I, I, it's better that you said that, just in case I, I missed out one of those important words. But uh, I've watched your career go from strength to strength, and I love everything you're about with regards to modern learning and creating a coaching culture in the workplace and especially in the workplace of schools. And to be honest, oh, I think we've had one other teacher on the show and that's it. So I'm excited to get going with this episode, Joe. Uh, look, we'll kick it off with anchovies on a pizza. You either love it or you strongly dislike it. What's your take? Well, I have to say that I'm anti-anchovies on a pizza, um, but I'm not a massive pizza eater. Got some dietary issues that, you know, make pizza not so fun sometimes. But I'm not anti the anchovy as a whole. <laughs> it's an essential ingredient in a Caesar salad dressing. Like it actually is very important, but not on a pizza. Yes. Well, you you are a pretty amazing uh, cook. I'm, <laughs> I know that uh, from experience. So because you answered that way, which is a bit of a flip side, you can choose either a coaching moment that went really well slash teaching of course your whatever lens cap you you want to share or your worst coaching teaching moment and what are the lessons out there for our coach listeners oh the teacher in me says i want to answer both of those because i think i've got good okay examples. you can you can <laughs> All right, let me start with the worst one and it wasn't so much of a coaching moment as much as it was a teaching moment for me um, and i've told this story um, a few times to people it's really part of my leadership journey and it, I guess the essence of it before I get into the details is really about as a leader you, you we think we're at the front and we have to have all the answers but actually the people we lead are best placed to tell us what's working and what's not working but we've got to be open to that so this is like a really vulnerable moment when I tell this story for a podcast but many years ago, very early in my um, leadership career, I um, had a, a food tech class, a senior food tech class. And what used to happen here is at the end of the year, the year 12s would do a thank you to all their teachers and they would pick a song to represent that teacher. Um, classic, the chem teacher would get the periodic table song, you know, the PE teacher would get let's get physical, always something to do with the subject. Anyway, this particular cohort, they um, played the theme song from MasterChef, Hot and Cold. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like they're putting me in that MasterChef kind of thing. And then I was talking to them later on and I said, oh, that was really nice. Was that meant to be the MasterChef thing? And they actually really honestly, one of the girls said, no, it's actually because sometimes you're hot and sometimes you're cold in the classroom and we don't ever know which version of you is going to come in. And you can imagine, like I'd been teaching for 
probably eight or nine years at this point. I'm relatively early in my leadership in schools, so middle leadership, not senior. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought they actually thought I was really approachable and all this sort of stuff. And what I realised, in you know, obviously I unpacked that with the students and sort of said, okay, like that hurts, but okay, tell me more. And they sort of said, you come into this, like we love you as a teacher and you're great, but you bring that leadership, whatever's going on in your leadership, you're bringing that into the classroom. So if you've had a stressful moment related to something outside of the classroom, you're bringing that in. And so then we don't know, like, are we going to get you stressed or whatever? And I was like, wow, that's that's really powerful for me. And that has stuck with me for the best part of or more than 10 years now. And it's always the thing that's in my head. There's two aspects to it. Number one, when I'm teaching, I've got to be present in the classroom. And that sounds really obvious and really like, sure, every teacher knows that, but we're humans and we have thoughts and we have feelings and things impact our day. But I have like the classroom for me is now sacred. When I'm in that classroom, I am 100% present for those kids probably to the point sometimes they wish I wasn't, but now they're like, oh, come on, miss, just give us a break. But it's really important to me. Like that's my role then and there. So when you're a leader and you're leading other people, you've got to be really, especially when you have like different roles, like as a a leader and a teacher, you're switching between those two things quite regularly. So that was a really important learning for me, but it was also about managing how I'm dealing with the things that are stressful or significant and not, allowing that to impact on others and that that's that's a really difficult thing as a leader so then from a coaching perspective in my senior leadership now that's what I try and impart with people that I lead is helping them to kind of see how is what you're doing impacting those around you but also how are you listening to those that you're leading it's a yeah. windy story <laughs> no no it was two things I want to pick up on uh, one is the thank you for being vulnerable by the way one is the sentence that you used, tell me more. So all you listeners out there, just by, yeah, it hurt, but you were able to go, all right, don't just tell me I'm hot and my cold. Tell me more about that and what's going on for you. Mm. That was that was super awesome. And the other thing is about being present. And, and you said it, yeah, you know, we all know we need to be present for our players and our students but the ability even to have a practical strategy for you to turn on your presence I think is something that coaches out there might want to reflect on. Mm. I've always used my thumb, my index finger, my middle finger, and when I put them together, I just say head, heart and gut, you know, I'm present or I can do it or whatever I need in that moment to, to bring out the best in myself as a coach. And it grounds me every single time. And I've been doing it for years. Doesn't, and it doesn't matter if I'm playing in a golf tournament or if i am got a big talk that I need to do. Even getting you know ready to, to present to the students today here at Arve, I was got myself grounded and present before I walked in the school. Yeah. And I think it's so important. I, so think, I think that's really – it is really important, Em. And, and one of the things for me about being present, it's not just in that classroom. So as a leader, being present in a meeting, people are coming – you know, with allocated time to discuss things that are important to them. And don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect at this by any means, but, you know, because there's other distractions that are going to happen. But by and large, if I have a meeting time booked with someone, I I really want to be present in that. So, you know, I'm not – 
I don't have an Apple Watch, for example. I, I have a, a Garmin and I like tracking my steps and my sleep, but I deliberately don't want an Apple Watch because I will be distracted by messages coming up. And I know that you can, you know, turn off those notifications and things like that, but how I manage my social media in terms of I don't nothing comes up as a notification. I choose to go in there. The only thing that I get notifications on, <laughs> the Vic Emergency app, because, you know, it's important to know what's going on with the weather, or, or messages that I get. And I don't even read the t- – I've set things up to minimise those distractions so that even if I'm in a meeting and my phone goes off or those sorts of things, I don't have my emails open because it is so important. There's nothing worse than going into a meeting with someone and they're distracted because you're like, hang on, this is my time. So that's the same, whether it's the classroom or it's the meeting, that's really important to me. But it's something I'm consciously always working on because, you know, we have good intentions, but the practice is sometimes not easy. So, And so on the flip side, what about a a moment that's gone really well and what might be a lesson? I think, um, you know, I've been in senior leadership for quite a while and so I've had lots of different experiences and I'm going to use that cliche um, definition of good leaders. Good leaders make leaders um, and so for me that's always in the back of my mind my leadership and the way I try to lead is always about building up the person in front of me to make them a better leader so you know there's the very rudimentary measure of how many people have I taken from not being a leader to becoming a leader and, and what's their leadership journey been so yes you can tick off how many people have gone into middle leadership or senior leadership and those things but it's actually more about people's confidence in themselves. So, you know, I've got a couple of staff who I've worked with here for a number of years and just seeing how they believe in themselves and then how they are finding their own version of themselves, that's that's my win. So it's not one specific thing. It's lots of little things that people do where you go, oh, I'm so glad that you're doing that for yourself now. You know as well as I do, Em, that one of the hardest things when you're coming up in your leadership or even when you're trying to coach, is you can't be somebody else, you know, whether it's a footy coach, a tennis coach, a netball coach, you know, my sport of choice. You, The best coach you can be or the best leader you can be is to be authentic and true to yourself. And so my coaching wins are when someone actually embraces their personal strengths, their personality, their way of doing things. And I think it's hard sometimes for people who, you know, don't – have that confidence in themselves and that's really hard to bring out in some people. So that strategy of not doing everything for people and, you know, you and I have fantastic conversations that are very much in that coaching vein around tell me more or what do you think about that? It's not about giving people the solutions. It's sometimes uncomfortable for them in the moment. So I guess to, I don't know, maybe contradict my answer when I hear people talking about hey I want to go and talk to Jo because she's really good at helping me sort stuff out and figure out solutions and helping me become better that's probably my coaching wins is actually having people recommend me to other people to say she's who you want to go to for these reasons not because it's easy or because she'll tell you all the answers but you know when when the the byline or the preface is go see Jo you won't like it at the time, but you, it'll be good in the long run. Like that's actually a win for me. So yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a win. And the what I really enjoy about listening to you right now is this concept of sticky language, because when somebody uncovers their truth or when they 
bring out their authentic strengths and step into that as a leader or as a coach, that's going to stick. And I know, do you use sticky language in teaching? Is that a teaching term or maybe more of a coaching term? It's not a, it's not a uh, teaching term that I'm familiar with. I mean, it may be in some circles, but I kind of like it. Oh, I love it. That's that's what that's what the coaching podcast is all about. I'm, I'm allowing you to pay that forward. I'm sure I'm going to get lots of more gems off you today as well. So thank you for sharing that. Our next question is uh, when you're – we call it the sliding doors question. You know what? I think if you look back, there's always going to be particular things. Um, look, there's probably two that stand out for me. I'm, the first one – is again, I'm going back more than 10 years ago now. I kind of had this aspiration. I want to write a textbook. I want to have my name on something. And, you know, for some people that's a really easy field to step into. For other people that's a little bit difficult. I had an opportunity to um, co-author a couple of chapters on a book. Um, So I was really excited about it. Um, Spoiler alert, didn't end up happening. (laughs) But that was my choice. So the sliding doors moment was I knew that I was a really good teacher and I knew that I had really good resources. But when it comes to writing a book, I knew nothing about how to do how to write a book. I didn't know what was required. I didn't know the editing process. And despite there being some meetings and some support conversations, it just didn't click with me. And I found it extremely stressful. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, I so want to be part of this but I really am not enjoying this at all. Like there is, n- I can't find any joy whatsoever. Um, and I don't know that I was consciously like using that language at the time, but in hindsight, I was like, yeah, I didn't like it. And it was actually, you know, I was in a leadership role. I was doing lots of different things, but I was really motivated by, I really want my name in a book, which was probably the wrong motivation at the time. So, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it was all me that I didn't have it. There was some, you know, administrative things that made it more complicated. And I chatted to a couple of people and I said, I can't do this. I, I actually, it, it's, I don't want to feel like this in this process. So I drafted an email, you know, sat there for like two days before I sent it. And then I sent it. And the relief, the moment I hit send, and I thought, I don't care what comes back. And that's actually irrelevant to the sliding doors moment. But for me, it was, I could have pursued that and, and just gone, it's hard and it's the first time you're doing it and just be on board with it and learn from the process. But I was like, no, I'm not doing it. It's not worth the feeling that I have. Now, I've still to this day not put my name on a book and that's okay. Maybe one day, you know, you've done it and I'm, I love that you've done it and that's amazing. There's other things now that give me much more joy and much more satisfaction that have that are even harder than writing a couple of chapters in a book. Um, I've got some friends who, who do it and they love it and it's great. But I, I'm so glad that I made that call that this is not for me in this moment because, as I said, that sense of relief was mm. amazing. I would say the other one is, um, again, like that, that academic kind of bent on even just choosing to become a teacher. So I went into teaching when I was 26. So I had a whole career in the food industry before that, which was great and I loved it. But there was something in me that said, actually, you need to be a teacher you will appreciate this. I'm sorry, listeners, most of you won't know this, but a, a girl we went to high school with, we were sitting in maths class in year 12, not my best subject, and I was explaining a concept that I probably didn't even really understand, but for some reason she thought that I did, and this was Catherine Bartolo. I, I hope I'm allowed to name her. Um, and she said to me, why aren't you a teacher? And I was like, mate, we're in year 12, what are you talking about? 
But that, that, you know, we're going back quite a few years now, as you know, Em, and that's always stuck in my head that actually I think I am good at explaining things to people. So I was working at the MCG at the time, very cool job, lots of fun, lots of amazing opportunities, um, working in the staffing area. It was, it was very cool and lots of fun. But I was like, I need to do something else. And so I literally got online, <laughs> applied for my dip ed, didn't tell anyone. And then all of a sudden I got in and I was like, okay, well, this is happening. And people in my workplace were like, what are you doing that for? Like, that's crazy. Like, what are you going to go back and do that for now? And it was the best thing I ever did. So just making that choice and saying, this is a great life and, and lots of fun, but something's missing. And so actually doing something about it. And then that set me on this. Now, 21 years later, here I am. So, yeah. Great story. And for all our listeners out there, it's you know, do you have that one sentence that somebody off the cuff said about you that ended up, you know, doing what you're doing today? It's I think as coaches as well, we we play that role model. That one I've had many athletes even come back years later, you know, negative and positive. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when this one person said this to me, and I've never forgotten that one line. Uh, in, in both ends of the, the motivation spectrum. But uh, so thank you, Catherine Bartolo, if you're <laughs> listening. Big shout out. G'day, mate. Um, so thank you for, for sharing your sliding doors. In one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Listening. It's just yeah, you can't coach without listening to the person in front of you. And do you have a favourite question to kick off listening? Like do you have a, like a go-to couple of like, you know, when you first start coaching someone, first, you know, go see Joe when they come in to, to see you, is there a couple of things that you that, – to kick start the listening? So I have done some very basic coaching training um, and there's some really good models within that. But to be honest, there's a – Maybe it sounds a little bit too full of myself. But there's an innate um, part of me that's just a curious person. So a lot of my coaching is my natural curiosity with my social skills. So more often than not, it's, hey, how are you going? It's nothing to do with what the coaching is going to be about. It's just let's do a temperature check. And it's some version of, hey, how are you doing? Or what's going on? Um, or it could be something completely unrelated it's like a like an icebreaker of um, what's happening for you right now. Like where's your head at? So it could be, you know, if it's someone I know who's got a dog, hey, how's your dog going? What's going on? Or if it's a TV show that I know, where's our where's our our common ground to make sure that we're on the same page? And I say that to you, Em, like no one's ever asked me that question before, so I'm, you know, thinking of it as I go, but it's it's not a deliberate decision to ask a question. It's a how am I going to connect with this person to get them to a point that we can actually have the conversation that needs to be had. A combination of social and curiosity. Mm. That is awesome because it is something that we all perhaps do innately but it's all good and well to say listening. Mm. But if you ask the wrong question even at the start, how is your day? Good. Well, what are you listening to? Where do you go to from there? So I just invite 
coaches to think about what are some of your opening go-to questions. Mm. You know, what do you discover about yourself on the weekend? You know, some of the – get creative with how you how you say things. And, you know, my favourite compliment is when someone says, no one's ever asked me that before. I <laughs> love that. So thank you, Joe. What were you going to say? I, know, I was just going to say it's funny. We um, at Ave we have been working through a program called Visible Wellbeing, um, which comes out of the University of Melbourne. Sorry, I'm giving you a little unauthorised plug here. But we've been working through this program for the last two years and it's a fantastic um, – I'm a big fan of making thinking visible, which comes out of Harvard. And a lot of what I do is about how do we articulate what's actually going on for ourselves. So when we look at it from the visible wellbeing perspective, it's kind of very similar, but with a wellbeing focus. Why am I telling you this? What we're trying to do here is to make sure we're building really good, um, positive and effective relationships with the students that we teach. Arve is a wonderful school and we do have great relationships, but every young person has got stuff going on, like more so than ever before. Their, their lives are filled with lots of different influences and information. So talking about icebreakers, and I'm not going into every lesson with a coaching mindset as such, but that's what effectively teaching is. You're going there to make – like I have this passion, and I say this to my kids in class. My goal is that you walk out of this class smarter than when you walked in. <laughs> and they kind of laugh at that, but I'm like, no, that's – like I'm genuine, like – I want you to come out going, I know more 60 minutes later than what I knew when I first walked in. But what they walk away with is between them and me. Every kid's going to walk out with something different. But that means I have to connect with every student. So I've got some classes with 18 kids and some classes with 29 kids. And my with my bigger classes, when I mark the role, it's not Emma here joe oh yeah that's how we used to do it yeah that's exactly right but it's not that so what do you do now now it's like every lesson it's like oh what do i want to know about you today favorite pet favorite tv show favorite fruit or and i've got to the point now where i'm like wait what are we up to what have i asked you give me a topic and then they'll shout something out literally yesterday it was our favorite tv show well you know that opens up doors right so every kid says and, you know, there's a, there's a few that say a few things. Some, they're always, like a couple of kids were saying, Outer Banks, it's a Netflix, it's a, you know, streaming series. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, season three is coming out soon. We're ready for that. And they'll look at me like, wait, do you know what that is? Or another student will say something and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've never heard of that. Tell me more about that. So then every student has had an interaction with me before we've even got into the learning. It gives me an in that when we're doing activities, they feel comfortable talking to me because they've already told me something about themselves which was low risk but a connection. And it either invites me to say, hey, tell me more about that or, hey, let's chat about next episode or what in that instance or if it's a, you know, footy club one. It's a bit of banter in those sorts of things. So that whole aspect of listening and coaching on a teaching scale is about who's in front of me and has that person felt like I've connected with them already on something that is low risk it's not, they're not going to be assessed on it and those sorts of things. And I think that that's a really important tool in education. But I imagine, you know, you've coached lots of young kids, you coach lots of professionals, but in those little kids, they're probably a bit scared and they're, they're scared to be able to perform playing tennis, but they shouldn't be scared of their coach. So, I don't know, that's my little tidbit, I guess, from mm. getting to know people and mark the role. Well, why, why do we call them icebreakers? I think we need to reframe that. Yeah. And brand it something different. I call them warm up, <laughs> warm up activities. Warm up. Yeah. I, a lot of what I teach is around teaching critical thinking and 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 teaching those 
um, metacognitive strategies. Mm. So I always talk to them about um, your brain is just another, you know, it's, it's not a muscle, but I use that analogy for them. You don't go and play sport without doing some stretching or warming up first. So we do some activities to warm up our brain so that we can, you know, get a bit technical sometimes, form a few neural pathways, whatever. But for them... It's explaining to them, when we're doing this, this is actually having value. This is helping us to connect with things. Um, so I agree. Icebreakers is not the right word for it. Warm-ups, brain warm-ups are mm. a good one. Brain warm-ups. Like mm. it. Let's get rid of icebreakers. Smash that out of the window. <laughs> and smarts. Smarts is interesting too, isn't it? I love all the different smarts these mm. days that the kids can be smart in. Mm. Uh, if only I, I always thought I was dumb, you know, especially when you – older sister got ducks of the school but anyway we won't talk about our sisters <laughs> can i just i'm just gonna indulge one second can i just tell you from the, an outside looking in on that that was never my perspective of you um and i emma and i have a lot in common not least of which is that we have sisters in the same year level and my sister while she wasn't ducks to um emma's sister she wasn't far off it so that whole sense of not living up to the expectation of the older sibling because you do things differently I think we, in the long run, benefit from being able to recognise that we didn't have to be our sister. We thought that when we were growing up and perhaps there were external influences that were making us believe that. Um, But I think that also drives me in trying to help young people and colleagues find who they are and what's their strength Mm -hmm. because that's so important. And I wish I had had someone, probably my mum would have said that to me, and of course you don't listen to it in that moment, Um, but... I think that's so important for, to help people recognise your strengths are within you. Let's figure out what they are and let's find avenues for them because it can be pretty, you know, challenging if you're coming up against your own headspace that tells you you're not something well, instead it, of what you are. It, it actually came up – this exact conversation came up with a student today oh. and uh, she said – I said uh, – I asked, oh, well, where does that expectation come from? She goes, oh, no, I put it on myself. It's not actually coming from the older sibling mm. and the parent, which was the scenario. So that, that that's so important and I, I'm sure even sports coaches can, uh, you know, there's a lot of research on, you know, the, the, the older sibling firstborn being the, you know, the really dedicated sports player and then the second one comes along and normally they're better than the, the, the first. Mm. So all the, the, those things that the older sibling goes through as well. So let's just, uh, you know, make a side note, all you coaches out there, sports teachers, business coaches, about asking that question, where where does it come from? Because mm. often it's not reality as, as well. I think, I don't know if we can delve into this a little bit more, Em, but there's, there's some really important lessons that I've learned along the way. And again, I'm going to go back to a school-based one. Um, we had... Did you do bio in year 12? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did Biology. You? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had Mr. Glary. Yep, same. Okay. Shout out to Stephen Glary, one mm-hmm. of the legends and one of the people who is in my mind about being a good teacher. So thank you to him. He pulled me into – this sounds really weird. Sorry. No, not, not, <laughs> not inappropriate. We're going back a long Tapped time. Tapped you on the shoulder. We had a conversation right. separate to the class and he just said to me – I'll paraphrase, but basically you're not your sister – Stop trying to be. So he taught my sister. She was extremely capable. She is extremely capable. Um, but I felt this sense of needing to live up to the expectations because so many teachers were saying to me, are you 
I don't know whether I should say my sister's name or not. Yeah. <laughs> Are you Sarah's sister? And I'm yeah. like, yes. And we were very different. And there were very few teachers who actually recognised those differences. Stephen was one, Linda the dance teacher, who is synonymous with, you know, St Columbus. And my sister didn't dance. So that allowed me to be me. And I'm, again, forever grateful for all the th- things that she instilled in me. But I, though that question of are you someone's sister or automatically puts that expectation of are you going to be like that person as a teacher I'm really I will say that oh who's got siblings and I'm I'm really conscious of not crossing that line of putting the expectation on the student of you're going to be like them and I and I articulate this to the kids I'm like oh I just want to I like knowing how things connect so I'm like oh yeah I taught your sister or I, I you know I've seen your sister in this but that's the end of it it's not are you like her it's just, hey, I know a little bit about your family, which is in some ways an invitation to go, you can tell me whether you like or don't like your sibling. You can tell me if you are like or not like your sibling. Um, but for me, there's that acknowledgement of I know where you fit, but I'm not putting any pressure on you. And I think that that's another thing that's really important, whether you're in the classroom or you're on a sporting field, not making those comparisons you know, I love sport, as you know, and I always am interested in, you know, siblings who play sport, whether they're twins or those sorts of things and, like, who's the better one and there's always this comparison. Like, why why are we comparing this sibling to this sibling? Why aren't we just saying, well, they this is their strength and that's their strength? And I think that from a mental health perspective, that becomes even more important. So even when we're coaching people, whether it's an adult or a child, it's never about comparing them to somebody else. And that can be really tricky in the language. And especially if there's any parents listening, this is like solid gold (laughs) advice. Uh, So please, parents, just be so mindful of this one's a sporty one, this one's a smart one, this one's, you know, no, this, okay, yes, my daughter chooses to play tennis, for example. Yes, my, you know, my son is in the academic program at whatever, but just labelling them as they are versus they choose to participate or just Mm. a little subtle distinction there in in language. All right, when you get a chance to meet other successful coaches, teachers, leaders, what's that one question that you always want to know about others? I think that's really hard to answer because I'm not a I've got this question and I want to know what you think about this probably my approach is more like I just want to have a conversation you and I know we can sit and we just bounce off each other with like oh you what about this and have you thought of that and like have you seen this happen so it's not a, a singular thing it's I guess it's again tapping into that curiosity and how do things work and how do other people put connections together so it's not a specific question as okay. much as it's I want to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that and I love that answer. Let me reframe the question then. What is one of the most common questions that you know, teachers of today really struggle with? What do they come to you with? <laughs> as soon as you said reframe, I'm like, okay, I know actually how I <laughs> should have answered that. Um no such thing as should, by the way. Kick should, that to the Okay, curve. sorry. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> next time. Um, next time. So 
I'm all about checking for understanding. I teach kids about how do you know if you understand something. Um, but I – and my principal is, is often saying this back to me now. She's like, as you would say, Joe, we've got to check for understanding. I think that's a struggle. We, we As teachers, we have a lot of content to get through. We have a lot of things that we need to do. Um, but we know that if we've learned something, if we can check that someone understands it. But as an extension of that is how do you know if they've understood it? And I'll give you my most basic thing that I do in the classroom – if I, if I ask you to read a passage and then say, what's a word that you don't understand? And they'll pick out a complex word. Then I'll pick out a different word that I think they haven't identified. And I'll say, tell me what that word means. And they're like, oh, well, it's kind of, you know, you know, like you just know. It's just, it's, and I'm like, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. So my, I have two rules about checking for understanding. You can't use the word in the definition. So if you say, define success, you can't say success is when you're successful. Oh, Okay. Because yeah, yeah. there's no new information in that. But it's also, can you explain that to somebody else succinctly? So I'm going to set myself up <laughs> for an error now. But anyway, if I said, what's the definition of success to you? And your answer might be? Um, success is growing every day. Sure. Beautiful, succinct, I get it. There's new information in there and I now I've got a connection between the word success and what success looks like growing and there's a time frame with it. But quite often people can't articulate without just repeating what has been said so they don't really understand it. Now they might, it might make sense to them, but if you can't explain it to somebody else, do you truly understand it? So I think whether that's teachers or with leaders, we've got to check for understanding how do we if, – if I could have a fantastic conversation with someone, whether it's explicitly a coaching conversation or just a general conversation that has some coaching elements to it, but if that person walks away with a completely different perspective on the conversation, then I actually haven't done a very good job. So part of what I need to do is recap. Hey, all right, so what are we taking away from this? What are you going to do? What do I need to do for you? What are our next steps with it? So I'm getting that feedback from them to say <laughs> – yeah, I heard what you said. This is what I'm taking away from it. And it, what their takeaway is might be different to what my intentional takeaway was, but that goes back to the listening. And I go, okay, that's where they're at with it. All right, I'll make a mental or a physical note of that for next time I have a conversation with them is where did they progress with that? So as I said, whether that's in the classroom or not, you're getting that feedback. You have to ask, not did you understand, because that's an easy closed yes, no question. But, okay, what are we taking away from this opens up that opportunity to get that feedback to then go, yeah, okay, this is what they heard. Which, you know, that I'm all about that. It Just now I always say if somebody comes up to me after a presentation and said, that was really great, I was like, okay, <laughs> what specifically, and by the way, please, please remember this in your coaching toolkit, what specifically about the presentation did ignite curiosity for you or did you discover about yourself or that you're going to take action on as you know I'm a huge action taker so just checking for understanding what specifically do you mean mm. because it's amazing how many times people just go oh, that was really good like it's just oh you got good energy well I don't care how much good energy I have it's only you know I can I can I can rally the horses to the to the stream but unless they're understand what's going to motivate them to want to drink Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I love that. And we hope that you are enjoying this episode with our coach, teacher, leader extraordinaire, Joe Hammer. Such great content. This is the end of part one, so stay tuned next week for part two where I get to go rogue and interview Jo about her latest research in metacognition and how we think leader as coach and creating a coaching culture in schools. See you next week. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by Transition Coach for Athletes, a global coaching, mentoring, and U.S. placement service. The service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fitness performance. Visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com. That's the number four.